Today I'd like to talk with you about a single word, and it's the word encouragement. That word encouragement means to comfort, to cheer up, to provide help. The word courage is in the middle of it, so it means that someone does something for you that helps to create courage, helps you to feel internal emotional strength. I wonder how many of you are here today who feel like, I, I need that. Maybe you could think of the thing perhaps that helps you when you need encouragement. Maybe it's the presence of a dear friend, somebody who just really knows you, someone who you can sit in silence with and have, not, have it not be awkward. Maybe it's a, a note or a letter that somebody might send you, or an email or a text. Maybe it's an encouraging word that somebody verbally communicates to you, or maybe it's that you can kind of see where things are going so you know this, this sort of has an, an end to it. So think with me of how it is that you experience encouragement. When I, when I think of that word, I, I think of the, uh, the drumstick dash. <laughs> as, a, as a family, for the last number of years, we've participated in that event. I love the event around Thanksgiving. It's a six or so mile run, I think is what it is. And um, the thing I love about that event is not just the thousands of people that are gathered and kind of running it together, but it's always kind of an interesting experience that you have all of these runners and then you have people who live along the route and they come out and sit in their lawn chairs and drink coffee and watch all of us run. <laughs> But they also are very encouraging, don't get me wrong. As, uh, as we're running along, they're cheering, saying things like, hey, you're doing great, keep going. I could even hear them in my head. I could even think of um, a little child, you know, who doesn't have any context for what's happening. And I've got this narrative going on in my head that he, he can see me, and, and the narrative in my head is this, this is dumb, I can hardly breathe, I'm old, I'm fat, I'm waddling like a duck, this hurts, when is this over? Those are the things that are going through my head. And then I run by a six-year-old who says, hey, good job. <laughs> he doesn't know me, I don't know him, he has no idea how hard this is, but here's the crazy thing, I believe him. <laughs> doesn't matter if I know him or he knows me, my need for encouragement is so great, I'll take it from anyone in that moment. <laughs> you may find yourself in that kind of position this morning. Part of the reason that we gather on the Lord's Day is for the express purpose of encouraging one another. Look at what the writer of Hebrews said. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you, say, as you see the day drawing near. So one of the roles of our gathering together is not just to sing together, to receive the word together, but it is to encourage one another. Can I just remind you, that's, that's part of the reason why you're here. And can I exhort you, before we even get into the text, to make it a goal, before you leave this property today, to find someone, somehow, to encourage. 
Ray Ortland says it's safe to say that no one is suffering from too much encouragement in Christ. Nobody, if you were to ask them how they're doing, would say, ah, it's been a rough week. I've just been encouraged way too much this week. <laughs> we, we, we need encouragement, and Isaiah 51 is a chapter that's designed to do just that. The circumstances in Israel, as Isaiah writes, are going to be bad. He's writing, we believe, looking toward a future exile when it will seem as though God has forgotten his people. They're under the oppression of the Babylonian Empire, and it would seem that nothing is ever going to change. And as a result, Isaiah knows that the people of God are going to have, some, have to have some material to reorient their thinking. The circumstances in their life, just like the circumstances in your life, can tend to create a narrative in their minds, can create a narrative in their hearts about God's love for them, about God's care for them. And this chapter is designed to reorient them and reorient you, if you're a Christian, in two ways. Number one, to reorient what it is that you hear or who you're listening to. And then secondly, to reorient what you are looking for. So think of it about ears and eyes. Who am I listening to? And what am I looking for? Those are really two key pillars for godly and biblical encouragement. Who are you listening to? Or what are you listening to? And what or who are you looking for? So let's unpack that first. The question is this, are you listening? Maybe a better way to even suggest this would be, who are you listening to? Are you listening? Biblical encouragement comes from listening to the right source. And often, if we're honest, our discouragement comes because we are living in light and listening to unhelpful or even wrong sources of information. Think back with me all the way to the Garden of Eden. This is how sin entered the world, that Eve's first mistake was listening to and believing the lie of Satan in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. The devil cast doubt on what Eve heard God say. The devil said to Eve, did God really say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And then he cast doubt on God's intentions. You will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and, God, and you will be like God. So as we get into this text, I just want you to mark it down somewhere in your mind and heart that we get in trouble not just when we believe the devil's lies, but also when we start doubting God's intentions. It's not just enough to believe the devil's lies, it's when you begin to wonder and struggle and battle with, is God really good? Isaiah desires to provide encouragement through inviting God's people to listen to what is actually true. We see this in three places in Isaiah 51. The first one is in Isaiah 51 and verse one where he says, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. You who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. 
We see this in Isaiah 51 and verse four, where it says, give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. And then we see it in Isaiah 51 and verse seven, where he says, listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. So what Isaiah is trying to do here is to say to the people of God, hey, listen to me. Listen to me. Think of this in the same way that you would encourage a family member or a friend who's emotionally stuck. And and that actually may be you this morning. Like you're stuck because you're so in your head. You're starting to believe a narrative. You're looking around and there's, there's things rolling around in your brain. Some of you come to church today exhausted because all week long you've got this perpetual breaking news coming across your head. Breaking news, I'm a loser. Breaking news, this is impossible. Breaking news, I can't do this. Breaking news, this is more than I can handle. Breaking news, this isn't gonna turn out well. And all week long, that light's gone on and on and on and on and on. And Isaiah steps into that space and says, hey, listen to me. This is what I know to be true. This is what I know about you because of who you are in light of God's love for you. He's, he's trying to help the people of God to remember who they are. So chapter one begins, or verse one rather, begins by addressing the faithful remnant. He says, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, he's trying to encourage people who are godly, reminding them who they really are so they will remain faithful all the way to the end. It's not just the ungodly who need to be reminded, it is the godly who need to be reminded. Because to be discouraged doesn't mean that somehow you're a subpar Christian. It means that you're human and you live in a broken world. And you need a regular rehearsal of what's true in order to reset our understanding of who we are and to be sure we're listening to the right narrative. Do you ever find yourself just tired of yourself? Like tired of the things that are running through your head, tired of the things you think about you, tired of the insecurity, tired of the shame, tired, tired, tired. Well, the answer to that is to be sure that you're listening to the right source. Scott Sauls in his blog post, The Uplifting Potential of Our Words, says this. The 19th century Scottish minister, Robert Murray McChain, said that for every look we take at ourselves, we should take 10 looks at Christ. Similarly, Martin Luther said that we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day. These are simply ways of saying that most of us, listen to this, have the volume turned way up on the serpent's voice of accusation and bondage and turned way down on the Father's voice of pardon and freedom. We need to reverse this. Oh, how true. And one of my aims today in this message is to reverse that volume setting in your life if you're a follower of Jesus. Verses one and two remind God's people about their their identity. He says, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. He points them back to the foundation of their life. Remember, 
Remember where you've come from. Remember where God found you. He points them back to Abraham in verse two in Sarah. The reference here because they're not only the patriarchs from whom the promise of God flowed to the people of Israel, but it's a reminder as to who the people are that Isaiah is addressing. They are the children of God's covenant. They are the people upon whom God set his affection. He set his covenant upon them. So the assurance here comes because of who God is to them. Look at verse three, a beautiful reassurance. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. In other words, there's going to come a day when God is going to make all things right. There's coming a day when joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. So some of you are here today and you're weary and you're struggling and I just want to remind you, it isn't going to be like this forever. Now I don't know how long and it may get more difficult, but what I do know is the eventual outcome of God's plan of redemption ends in singing and rejoicing. Look at verses four to six. Some of you are discouraged, not because of circumstances, but because of things that relate to injustice and unfairness. And verses four to six invite the people of God to listen to a message about God's power. We see words like law and justice and righteousness and salvation and judge. In other words, God has a plan for the world and it will not be thwarted. You need to be careful right now about how much time you spend watching the news and how much time you spend on social media. It's all consuming. You're gonna know a lot more about what's happening all over the world and especially in Europe than what any human being ever in the history of mankind could have ever known. And if you want to know the news and you want to be informed, it's not a bad thing, but just can I remind you that your understanding of the news needs to be set through the lens of God's power and his sovereignty. To be reminded that God is absolutely in control. In 1958, Dr. Martin Luther King wrote this, evil may so shape events that Caesar will occupy a palace and Christ a cross, but that same Christ arose and split history into AD and BC so that even the life of Caesar must be dated by his name. Yes, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. This text invites us to keep this kind of perspective. Look at verse six, I love this. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, look at the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. And then notice this important phrase, but my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Wow. That word dismayed is the word that means to be shattered or to be frightened or to be discouraged. And what this text says is, is that God's righteousness is never like that. God's righteousness never wavers. You ever had it where someone else's anxiety or fear kind of made you nervous? 
you were feeling pretty good about something until you started talking to a friend and you're like, ooh, I should, I should worry about that. And then you start worrying about what they're worrying about. And then you start worrying about the fact that you weren't worrying, right? And some of you know what it's like to have anxiety and have anxiety about your anxiety. Or maybe you have a, a narrative that kind of runs through your head and the frequency of what you're thinking about begins to make you believe that it's true because you think about it all the time. You kind of create your own fiction-based reality. And that can lead to discouragement. Yet this text tells us that you may be discouraged, but friend, God isn't. You may be frightened, but he's in complete control. You may be nervous, but God's completely at peace because his righteousness is never dismayed. Verse seven rounds out the text on this idea of listening. Isaiah reminds God's people to be careful about how they listen to the reproaches of their opponents. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose law is my heart. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be, nor be dismayed at their revilings. Isaiah reminds God's people that in the midst of opposition and difficult, difficulty rather, that they shouldn't be dismayed at all of those things because he reminds them about their future that my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. That's the latter part of verse eight. So in this first point, what Isaiah is driving at is this. If you're discouraged, if you find yourself weary, if you feel faint-hearted, one of the ways the Bible helps us is to speak God's word to us, to be sure that we're listening to the right reality of what makes life life. So one of the strategies for fighting discouragement is to remind yourself about what's true about you in Jesus. Some of you are here today or you're listening and you're weary not only because your life is really hard, but because you've begun listening to the wrong narrative. You've listened to what the culture says. You've listened to what your enemies say. You've listened to what the devil says. And you've listened to what you say about you. The Bible doesn't care what the culture says about you. The Bible doesn't care what your enemies say about you. The Bible doesn't care what the devil says about you. And lovingly, the Bible doesn't care what you say about you. The hope of the gospel is the Bible says something about you that you wouldn't know unless the Bible told you, and that's why it's good news. Scott Sauls gives an example of the kind of narrative that we need to believe and hear from others. It's this narrative, this is true. You are in the image of God, you are made in the image of God. You are loved at your best, you are loved at your worst. You are uniquely gifted, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are God's child, you're the bride of Jesus, you're the vessel of the Holy Spirit, you're an heir of the universe. Now listen, this is, this is not like positive thinking. I'm not giving you a feel-good sermon. I'm giving you a message based upon what the Bible says is true about your identity. And the question is, who or what informs how you think about you? 
And the reason that we gather together on the Lord's Day is to be reminded, okay, no, this is true, this is true, this is true, and listening to the right source. Secondly, not only is there a call to be listening, but also a call to be looking. So are you listening? And secondly, the question is, are you looking? Or what is the source of your hope? Where are you looking for confidence that help is on the way? These are really important questions. If you're here today and you're listening and you're not yet a Christian, you, you answer that question somehow. Like if you don't believe in Jesus, you, you have beliefs. Like it's not like you're belief neutral. You have beliefs about who you are and what makes you valuable and where does hope come from. The, the difference is, is that all of those perspectives as a non-Christian, they're gonna flow from what you think about you and your ability to try and solve your own problems. And the good news from the Bible is that that doesn't work. You need a savior, his name is Jesus. And when that relationship with Christ is in its right place, it changes not only the trajectory of your future, but it changes how you think about you today, right now. So if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, I want you to understand something. I want you to become a Christian, not just so you know where you're gonna go when you die. I want you to become a Christian so you know how to live now. Like right now, how do you think about the life that you live, the hope that you are, running, are, are trying to figure out, and what do you do with the guilt in your soul? I want you to find Jesus because I want you to find freedom right now. In verse nine, Isaiah calls upon the Lord to wake up. He says, awake. Awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the days of old, the generations long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Now, in our present culture, when we say, hey, wake up, it's kind of an in-your-face kind of a statement. I don't think that's what is happening here in Isaiah. He's not offering this as a complaint, he's offering this as a statement of trust. He's inviting the people of God to look back and see the way in which God has been a help to them. Awake, he says, as in the days of old. Oh, I hope you know that a, a sense of history is really, really important. Our ability to know and discern what has happened in our lives and to see the outworkings of God's kindness and grace, we need to be reminded of that. Some of you need to understand that the trial that you're walking through right now is going to be a situation that you look back on a few weeks, a few months, a few years from now, and you're going to be stunned how God helped you. Right now, you're having to cling and just make it day by day by day, but there's coming a day when you're gonna look back on this, like you look back on another situation in your life where God showed up, and now with five years, 10 years, 30 years, or maybe a couple weeks of perspective, you can see the way in which God was at work. Can I just encourage you, go back to those days and be reminded of them, because if God was faithful then, he's gonna be faithful now. In verses nine through 10, Isaiah rehearses the power of God's past deliverances. He uses terms like Rahab. That's how the Bible often refers to Egypt, 
especially in the book of Isaiah. It says that God pierced the dragon. He dried up the sea. The people passed through it. Isaiah is looking to God for his deliverance, and he can't help but break out in praise. Look at verse 11. Here's here's where everything is headed, and this is the theme of the entire Bible in terms of the trajectory of salvation. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I long for the day when we're gathered in the presence of Jesus and we realize sorrow and sighing are never coming back. Isaiah lavishes praise on God for the purpose of encouragement. Look at verses 12 through 16. God is the one who comforts you, he says, so stop being afraid of people. Some of us struggle with the fear of man, not just because we think people are too important, it's that God isn't important enough. Verse 13, God is the creator of the universe, so stop giving your oppressors so much power over you. Verse 14, God is going to help those who are bowed down. Verse 15, God is the one who stirs up the sea. Verse 16, God is the one who protects his people, who says, you are mine. All of these are designed to create incredible comfort in the hearts and the lives and the minds of God's people. And then Isaiah uses a play on words. After appealing to God to awaken, to come to their help, he then applies the same words to the people of God. Verse 17, wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem. What's he calling them to realize? That you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. What he's he's saying, you who have experienced hardship and difficulty and pain, God is going one day to remove that cup of pain and to replace it with the cup of praise. Look at verse 22. Thus says the Lord, the Lord your God, who pleads the cause of his people, behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath, you shall drink no more. So here is the promise of help, the promise that God is going to help his people, the promise that if they would just look to him, he's ready to help those who wait upon him to restore their strength, to rise up with wings like eagles. If you're here and not a Christian, you don't have access to this kind of help. The kind of help I'm talking about only comes in the person and work of Jesus and the means by which we receive Both our identity, our understanding of who we are, it flows out of a relationship with Christ. It's why it's so critical for you to come to Jesus. And then for those of you who know Jesus, to rehearse what it means to be in Christ over and over and over. This last week I got a testimony of a man who came to faith in Christ through a ministry that we partner with and host here at church called Heart of a Man. person wrote this, 
When Bill gave the invitation at the end, I was too scared and froze in my chair, even though I wanted to sprint to the front and scream, I need this, I need Jesus right now. I believe it may have been divine though, because when I went home, I talked to my wife about how I was feeling, and so she got to experience this with me. We kneeled beside the bed, and through tears and sobbing, I told God I wanted this night to be the line in the sand, and for Jesus to be the Lord over my life, it was like a light switch has flipped on for me. Amen. It's like a light switch was flipped on for me. Yes. The difference is who you're listening to and what you're looking for. And for those of you who are Christians, can I remind you that God has flipped that light switch on and it's still on and it's not going out ever. And all hardship in your life can only serve the purpose of reminding us what we know to be true about God. Pain and suffering can make you a better theologian if you'll look for the right source of strength. Here's what Martin Luther said. For as soon as God's word becomes known through you, the devil will afflict you and make a real theologian of you and teach you by his temptations to seek and to love God's word. For I myself owe my Roman Catholic opponents many thanks for so beating, pressing, and frightening me through the devil's raging that they have turned me into a fairly good theologian, driving me to the goal I should never have reached. It is through suffering and hardship and pain and difficulty that we are given the opportunity to remind ourselves who we are, to remind ourselves where our hope comes from, to remind ourselves of what it means to look to the right source of hope and to listen to the right narrative. For some time we've used four statements as it relates to understanding the gospel around here at College Park. God is holy, I am not, Jesus saves, and Christ is my life. What you may not know is that those came out of a series, a sermon series on identity. Like who am I and how do I understand the world? And as we conclude, I want to give you a very practical way to make this sermon work, something that I've been putting in practice in my life over the last three to four months, and it has been incredibly helpful, especially when I've faced deep discouragement. I wanna take you into my living room, into a little sunroom, where I sit in a particular spot, quiet my heart, and when I'm facing discouragement, here's what my prayer sounds like. God, you are holy. You're in control of all things. I am not holy, not at all. Jesus, you have saved me. You've rescued me from my sin and you are my life. Everything about my life 
flows from you. And I just sit in those four key phrases, and in some cases I say them over and over and over until, listen to me, they feel as true as they are. Because sometimes I sit in my chair and they don't feel true, but they are true. Here's another one. I'll use the armor of God. I'll sit in my chair, palms open, and I'll do something like this. God, this morning I take on the, the breastplate of righteousness. You've declared me to be righteous in Christ. That's who I am today. I'm righteous not because of what I've done, because of what you've done. I take on the helmet of salvation. You're gonna help my mind and my heart to be at peace today because you guide my mind. I'm gonna take the belt of truth because it serves to hold everything together. I'm gonna take the feet that are shod with the gospel of peace. Every place that I go today is gonna be filled with the peace that the gospel brings. I take the shield of faith which is the big shield that I'm hiding behind today knowing that you've got me and I take the sword of the spirit, God, because the devil is not gonna win because what I hold in my hand is the authoritative word of God and I sit in that space until I hear the right message and I look to the right source. And I confess to the Lord my inability to be encouraged on my own. I'm tired of listening to me. I'm tired of listening to the devil. I need to listen to what God says so that I can be free. And I pray the same for you. So bow your heads with me right now. God, you're holy. We're not. Jesus, you have saved us in Christ. You are our life. So we can just receive today the encouragement that is ready and available to us to be the kind of people who live by the right narrative, the narrative of the gospel, so we can live lives today full of courage because we know who we believe in. So Lord, we receive even now the encouragement that's designed to come to us by the Spirit. And so we pray you'd come. And thank you, Lord, that you, you keep us all the way to the end. It's not up to us, it's up to you. And so we receive your keeping grace. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.